there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can absolutely light up your funnels. Let's go. This is the Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your host, Chris Mechanic. Join me as I uncover the secrets of the world's most elite CMOs marketing leaders. The Revenue Driven CMO is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Revenue Driven CMO. I am your main man, Chris Mechanic. I'm here with a super exciting guest, um, and I'm, I'm very excited to get into it with her. She is a marketing visionary. She's an advisor to many companies. She's a mentor. She's an investor. She's got decades of go-to-market experience leading B2B SaaS companies on everything from overall go-to-market strategy, brand, strategic partnerships, M&A integrations, product launches, customer journey, employee culture, um, you know, really, really well-rounded and experienced uh, leader. She was the driving force behind sales lofts, uh, rapid ascent from like 16 million up to 135 million. Uh, in just a few years, folks. That included multiple acquisitions, expansions into uh, EMEA, where her team was actually um, credited for sourcing 80% of their revenue in the first year and just crushed the target at sales off by 200%. She's a partner at Stage 2 Capital. She's been an advisor for companies like G2 and Alice, which she's advising for currently, Marketo, Demandbase, so quite, quite the resume. She is now the first ever CMO of Drata, uh, which is a really interesting company, transforming the way that companies achieve compliance and build trust with their customers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Sydney Sloan. How are you, Sydney? Thank you so much. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> Usually it's like, introduce yourself. <laughs> so I appreciate the preparation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Well, I did put the preparation work in because I'm very excited to be speaking with you. Uh, and you you know how we like to roll. We like to kind of lead with the punchline. So why don't you just tell everybody listening, like, what is one of your big uh, secrets to success? Well, my soapbox, I'm going to jump on it and I'm going to talk on. about segmentation. So I think um, one of the things that uh, I, I've been working on a lot is, you know, thinking of the CMO role as the chief market officer. And so that means that we need to be you know, the, the leaders in the market have a good understanding of the market dynamic and helping our companies decide which markets we want to play in. And for me, it's always win. Like, I don't want to just play. I want to win. So how do we do that? And it's through um, the, uh, as you called it, the five-part alignment framework um, where, where it really is about segmentation. And um, I've done this uh, in my advisory roles and within... Hmm, Seven weeks at Drata, uh, I think it was my seventh week, we, we did this. And it really helps to align the leadership team on what the most important segments are to focus on. Generally speaking, I'll come into an organization and there might be five or six you know, things that we're, we're going after this segment and that segment, or we sold that customer, so let's go find more customers like them. And at Salesoft, I think it was 14. At Drata, it was about 11. Um, plus, they're probably new ideas, and there's nothing wrong with each one of the ideas. The, the wrong thing is trying to do all of them at once. That's the wrong thing, right? And so uh, so here's here's the framework. Um, the first thing is that you you build the segments. And I'm not talking about giant TAMs. This isn't an exercise to show how big the market is. It's what part of that market do we believe we can capture to the point that we're building account lists. Like we're in Zoom Info, we're playing around with the, the, the characteristics, the fit, technographic, firmographic, whatever we can find to define that segment to enough where it's like, here's, I, I believe, we believe that this is a viable market and these are the customers that make up 80% of that market, let's just say. Mm -hmm. That's, we take that number and then we do a predictive three-year value. So based on that segment, what do we think our ASP would be and what, what percentage of that market do we believe that we can capture over the next three years? So it's kind of a longer view than just the segment itself. Um, and that might be because one of the markets could be an existing market where we believe we can continue to capture more versus a new market where maybe we start slow and then grow fast. And so we want to make those assumptions when we're building out the different segments. 
I see. And your predicted three-year value is the value if you'd captured all of them or you're, no, you're assuming like, percentage. hey, we're going to get like 5% yeah. or 10% of these. Correct. Exactly. Like we, we do the true version, you know, what we think we can capture in terms of the market share and taking into account too, like, you know, can our company scale that fast? And, you know, so we, we try to make it as realistic as possible. So we're comparing apples to apples. Again, all the options are on the table. We want to do our best to vet those options so leadership can have a discussion and decide. Um, mm-hmm. So we do the the, mar- the market sizing. That is like the the true, um, you know, the science work, the, the tangible. Um, and then we go through a process with leadership where we look at what is um, a couple other factors. And the factors can change. It's not always the same thing. It depends on the company you're working with. But the things that tend to be consistent are, you know, what is the investment needed for the go-to-market team? Does mm-hmm. this mean like sales and marketing? Is it marketing to similar people or capabilities or markets that we market today? Therefore, not a lot of incremental investment in terms of if you're going to a totally different market. So let's say you're selling to SaaS tech and you want to move into financial services. That would be a higher level investment because you don't market and the sales process is different. And generally you have to, it's better off to hire people from the financial industry who sold to financial companies before versus right. trying to take someone that's been selling to SaaS startups and think that they can sell to financial. It, it doesn't work. I believe me, I've tried. I know. <laughs> right. um, so what is that go-to-market investment in terms of the skills and talent you have today? Do we have to make an incremental investment or not? Hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization. If you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, web mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, fill out the two-minute form, and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, no hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision. Mm-hmm. And that's step two, right? That's step two. Okay. So we we build out the segments realistically, like at an account by account level. Go to market team is number two. Go to market number team. Number three is is product fit, and this is you know a subjective discussion. But things that you would discuss in here are you know are they buying other technologies like ours? Um, are they a technology fast adopter type of um, of segment, or do they need if they're highly regulated? You know, then maybe they do have to have specialized product capabilities, or you have to integrate with a certain technology stack, which would mean that there's product investment required on our side. Mm -hmm. So that's, again, usually it's a scale of one to five for each of these um, on the, on the, the, the chart that we use. And so it's like Uh little to no investment is a one high level investment is a five using that financial services example. Again, yes, no, we, we have there in order to make it product market fit, we have to build three things that are going to take our teams, you know, eight months to build. So that would be a medium to high level investment versus no investment at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm with you. Okay. Product fit, product fit is sec- the third one. The fourth one is competitive mode. Um, will we be able to build a competitive moat with this particular segment, are is our competitor already in the segment? Are they leading the segment, and we're never, you know we're trying to catch up? Is it a brand new segment that neither of us are in? So by investing here, we believe we get that first mover advantage. If we mm-hmm. are going to go ahead and build something in the product, do we think it'll give a sustainable longer term advantage? So when you're thinking about the rating, and that one is a high rating, so if we think, hey, they're not they're not in this market yet, um, we're going to build something that is unique. And it's going to take them six months to, to catch up if they do a good job. So we're going to give ourselves a 12-month head start. That's a <laughs> good, you know, that would be a five. Um, yeah. Or that we have a unique partnership that is unique to us. And the partner has said that they will only do it with us or they'll do it with us 
for two years and then they'll open up to the greater market. So can we, can we find areas where we get that distinct competitive advantage that is long-term? It's not a feature. It's not a feature discussion. This is like distinct year-long competitive advantage. So competitive advantage, a higher rating is better. So a five would be the best. Correct. Yeah. Got it. Um, okay. You're going for the highest number uh, possible in, in the overall rating. So things that are hard or lower numbers, things that are easier or higher numbers, things that have higher impact or higher numbers. Okay. And the next one that I'm picking for today, and this really does have a lot to do with Drata, is partnerships. So can we develop and and uh, partnerships? And that could be any kind of partnership. Is it a is it a strategic partnership um, where you build specific integrations and go to market together? Um, is it uh, technology partnerships where you have a breadth where where other technology partners are building integrations to your platform, therefore making it stickier? Are they reseller or MSP or MSFP partnerships? Um, so where you know the that we can do a better job of developing those partnerships where those partners promote our products and not our competitors. So for each one of the segments, it may be a different kind of partner. So if I'm looking at a geographic expansion as a segment, so let's take our current market and SaaS startups and say, I want to do that in some of the European countries. I, I, this is one of my soapbox items too. People go, we're just going to expand into EMEA. Well, guess what? EMEA is like, what, 30 four countries or something like that. Um, I could be totally wrong. Uh, and But it's many countries. And so I think you have to be country specific when you're talking about expansion into Europe. Um, because, you know, going into English first markets or English um, adaptable markets versus saying, hey, we're going to start in Germany because it's the tough, toughest market to crack. And so that means we have to be localized. We have to meet their high level of regulation because it's going to make the rest of our expansion into Europe easier. That's a viable option if you want to go that route. Um, so you just have to make, you know, again, when you're doing your segment work, make, make the case, but partnerships could be different. So you might have MSSP partnerships taking you into new, ge- new geographic market, where you might have a technology integration partnership, say in a financial services model. Right. I'm with you. Okay, cool. Are you? Okay. Good. All over the place. So that's yeah. the fifth. That's the fifth one. There are more. Um, and and uh, I think if you look at my name and account-based strategy, I've presented on this topic before with a sample. Um, but but that's it. You take, you know, you take those those elements. Um, I like to kind of pre-score uh, them. And then as the leadership team, you sit and you discuss each one. And at Drata, we've decided to go like um, uh evaluation criteria by evaluation criteria. So we looked at the SAM for all of them and discussed it. And then we looked at go-to-market fit for all of them and discussed it and adjusted the uh, um, assessment per, you know, as we were going through to ultimately score all of the different options. We had, we had limited it. We, we did research on 12. We presented, I think, seven or eight to leadership, which we then um, walked through and and then did the the evaluation. It took about two hours, two and a half hours for the the workshop. Um, and then you end up with your score. And that's when it doesn't matter if you pick one, two, and four. It doesn't matter if you pick two, four, and six. The fact is that you pick three. You pick three of them. Okay, that's what you I was going to ask. Pick three of them. Yeah. And I think three. Sometimes you'll see five, but really, I think three is always the magic number, regardless of company size. Like. Getting your execution teams to really fire on like strong cylinders around three is is great. And one of once one of them starts going, you do the exercise again, and you pick your fourth and your fifth, and you know, and then you can continue to roll with it. It's it's something you could do at an annual basis, um, aligned with your strategic planning process. So so that's what we did. We did it. We picked three, and the difference of Drata versus other companies I've worked in is that Drata started implementing it the next week. <laughs> Usually it's like, you know, we put in the plan and we start, you know, talking and the next quarter maybe, but no, we were, we executed, we changed things the next week. I was like, okay, here we go. That's awesome. Yeah. And you know, one of my favorite things that you said is that like, look, there's, there's nothing wrong with any individual segment, but what's wrong is to do them all at once. And I think a lot of people or a lot of companies rather fall, fall victim to that approach where they're just like trying to be too many things, too many people. 
Like, and you see it all the time, probably you go to a site and they have, you know, industries or verticals like on the nav bar and you hover over it and there's just like this huge fly out menu with like 98 different industries listed. It's like, you know, come on, let's be specific. Yeah. And I think it's the fear, right? Like that, you know, the, of course you want to maximize your addressable market, but, but if you want to capture your addressable market, you have to be specific right? You have to have that, that conversation with the customer. You can't, you know, just say, oh, we have, you know, we have, oh, we have other financial services companies and not be able to tell the story. Um, uh, or, you know, where, where you're asking your sales teams to be conversant in 10 different markets. That's really hard too, right? How do you think about specialization? So we get just really good at solving that problem or the set of problems associated with that segment. That's when, and, and if you're doing your analysis properly, you can say, well, there's only five, we've only captured 5% of this segment. Um, maybe our competitors captured 5%. There's still 90%. Why are we already starting to bifurcate our strategy when there's 90% of the addressable market still right in front of us? Let's just triple down on it, go capture all of it, spend the next year, especially in this economic time where everybody's trying to become more efficient. Like, of course, focus. That makes a ton of sense. <laughs> so one quick question. So you've got this document. Is it the different uh, the different segments are like in column A along the rows and then your rating system are the different columns? Is that like generally so how rows are the rows are the segments and columns are the evaluation? Yeah. Got it. Okay. Brilliant. That's an awesome mm-hmm. process. Yeah. I love that process. It's kind of this mishmash over the years that I've kind of continued to evolve from, uh, you know, if you've read Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm and, and his strategy, there's elements of that in there. And then there was a couple other companies that I worked with that did, did work. And um, my time at Salesloft, uh, Albert Ree, who was um, running product marketing, created the actual scoring framework. Well, I was like, Dude, that's great. Yeah. Um, and used it. And uh, so it's just continued to evolve. It's actually Scale Ventures. I did a template for the Scale Ventures team too. So it's out there. Someone looks for it. Yeah. And that's the best actually. It's like when you spend a lifetime, you know, reading, learning, and then you just basically like, you know, amalgamate them into your own thing that's that's really i think the mark of um of experience let me ask you this are the segments always like by industry like you know financial companies or is it or have you seen instances where those segments are something else like for instance uses salesforce or uh you know some kind of technographic yeah it's mixed uh, that's the beauty of the model that you can compare uh, apples, oranges, and and hotcakes. You know, it just it's not even all outside of fruit. Um, so uh, tends to be um, uh, industry is obvious the obvious first one because that's how you're like look already looking at your orientation. And in my career, it's always been tech first, um, and then but it can be other industries. So financial services it could be sub sub industry. So it could be um, uh, regional banks could be a, a good one rather than, you know, it's it's not financial services. You have to go like two or three levels deeper where you're actually looking at thick codes. Like we were in on the U.S., um, you know, business authority, like really reading through the sick codes and then taking those sick codes and putting them back into Zoom Info and our database and like pulling, like, should that be in there? Should that be in there? So we we were cutting very deeply into like the, the segmentation. Um, it could be a partnership. Uh, so we, uh, when in past lives, I had like a partnership with Box or a partnership with um, AWS. And so it's like, okay, well, how do we segment that? Customers who use AWS who also do open source, which would be um, indications of technographic fit of other open source technologies who also used my competitor because we were switching out. That was the Alfresco uh, version. So it could be a mixture, but it starts with partner in that one. Um, and then it could be t- geographic. Uh, and I like to really break out the territories. I was starting to say that where, you know, it's not a MIA. Like, sure, I'll do a roll-up of MIA so you can get the full picture. But I want to look at, like, you know, is it, nor- is, it, is it UKI, which is UK Ireland, plus, you know, uh, the Nordics? Because uh, those generally will allow you to, you know, English speaking or... Um, uh, you know, do we start in France because it's got a high concentration of 
of, you know, SaaS tech startups that are early adopters, but then you have to, in my mind, you have to hire in France and you have to, you know, be in, uh, in Paris as an office. I advocated for that a couple of times, never have won that battle a hundred percent. Um, Israel is another great market that, you know, if, if you're an Israeli backed company, um, Israeli investors, like they, you know, that's a good way to kind of enter into a market where there's an affinity to purchase. Um, uh, so, you know, there's lots of different variations of how to think about um, the geographical expansion. And then do you do it direct or do you do it with partners? You do a blend. Now, is it natural to assume? So like, let's say you go into a new company, you do this for the first time. They've already got customers that are successful and segments that they're operating. Does it tend to be like when you come into a mature company like Drata, like does it tend to be net new like industries or net new focuses that require investment generally that you're going after? Or is it more so like, Hey guys, we've already got 5% here. Like let's double, triple down. Like you said earlier. It's such a great question. Um, and good to clarify because too often it looks like you have to, um, only look at net new markets and a hundred percent. You want to look at your existing customers. Absolutely. So, you know, for your existing segment and, and many times I've talked to startups, you know, that are 20, 30, 40 million. And they're like, oh, we're going to expand into these three new segments. And I say, why? Well, because, you know, we need to continue to grow. Well, how, how penetrated are you in your existing market? You know, oh, we think about 15%. Well, what, where's the rest of it? Why not stay focused? Why not try one instead of three at the same time? And I think too, you know, a lot of, um, uh, sometimes the board might be encouraging them because it's a pattern that they've seen. But if you're confident in doing your, research. And it, that worked for me at SalesOff. We were being asked by our board to go into new markets. And we did this process and we stood up confidently and said, we think that there's enough uh, room in our current segment to stay focused this year on our current, uh, current customer base and sell them new products. We're going to go acquire two new company, two companies. We're going to sell new products. And we're going to double down because we don't want to give that up to our competitor without the biggest fight. So absolutely. And looking at the value of upsell within your customer base could be another another factor that you put into like net new customers and then your customer base as another segment potentially. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And is there a magic number in your mind of like, okay, once we've captured X percent of a market, then it's really time to think about adding a new one? Or does that, uh, not, is it a hundred percent? No, it's not. Um, it's a it's a good question. I don't have the perfect answer because I'm always comparing segments to segments and what we believe. And there's always been plenty. Um, I would say if if you can identify if you can identify that more than fifty percent of the market is still available, I think it's still like again, it, like you you have to size the market. You have to decide like how much more revenue are you trying to get. So if you're a a $10 million company trying to get to 20 million, then that's much easier than let's say a hundred million dollar company trying to get to 200 million, yeah. your hundred million, you, you do need multiple routes to market of, you know, tangible markets. If you, if you want to capture 5% market share in a year, then you need to like at a hundred million say, you know, we think we can get 30 million out of this particular um, investment, you know, next year or the year in the next 18 months to make it worth it. So I think you just have to you have bigger bets that you have to place or larger segments when you get bigger. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to talk about Drata in a second. Mm -hmm. uh, one last question on, on your five-part framework, which I'll summarize here in a sec for anybody that's just joining now. But uh, once you have the segments picked out, so you've narrowed down from whatever your number is, that could might be 20, you've narrowed it down to seven, you've taking that into the room with the executive leadership team to further narrow that down to the top three. Everybody locks arms and is ready to jump. What happens after that? Like, um, Yeah, I, I, I talk about codifying it into your go-to-market. So, you know, if, if you're doing it around strategic planning, that becomes the the like initiatives or pillars, whatever people end up calling it um, for the strategy for the company for the next year. Uh, and generally, I've seen the best way that this gets executed is you have working groups for each of the strategic initiatives, um, you know, and then they they define projects and programs. And then you put that in, you know, a project management orientation where they're giving updates on the different initiatives. And and if two of the three work, you're, you're 
generally doing just fine. Um, you know, the, the different variations, because once you get into the ideas themselves, maybe it was harder to build the product. And so now we have to pivot this particular initiative in a different way or pull out. Um, we had a couple of sales off after we'd done it for a couple of years, we got comfortable with it and that we would get a couple of skunk works projects on the side, but don't under resource them. This is the, the other lesson learned is people are like, Oh, we'll try out that market. We'll expand into Canada or we'll, we'll put a person in Australia, like one person, like, are you making the bet or are you not making the bet? Um, if I'm going to make the bet, I want to put the best foot for success. Cause remember, I only want to enter markets that I'm going to win in. And so why won't we put a whole pod together, like make it truly functional. So they have to have the right sales, the right technical support, the right marketing support. Like usually it's about a team of eight to 10 um, and, 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 you know, fund them to be successful, give them the best chance with enough runway to prove it right or wrong. You know, if it's financial services, you need to be willing to make that investment for 18 months and pay the reps a different approach, like pay them on, you know, how many customers on a POC versus like revenue for the first year. Um, so adapt the, the incentives to the, how the market um, uh, it evolves or matures. Yep. Makes total sense. Love it. So quick summary uh, for anybody that's joining right now, we got Sydney Sloan here on the line. She's ex sales loft, took them from the low eight figures to the nine figures uh, in just a couple of years. She's an advisor at G2, Alice, Marketo, Demandbase, CMO at Drata, which we're about to hear about. But her five-part uh, framework is, first off, you build out the segments. And that's not just about like making the TAM as large as possible. That's about basically going into Zoom info and specifically building out you know, firmographics, technographics, account details. You line those all up in column A, and then along the rest of the columns, you're ranking them by certain things. What's the investment needed? Like, what are we going to have to invest in to go to market teams, um, you know, to make this happen? Product fit. And I guess that goes into investment too. That's a subjective uh, discussion where you're saying, hey, is this product even a fit for this niche? Are they, you know, early adopters of this type of tech? then you keep moving. Competitive moat. Do we have a moat? Could we have a moat? Then you move move over into partnerships. And we kind of added a sixth also, which is upsell, cross-sell potential. But that's what I like about this framework because you can make it your own, right? Like you can make, you can add different columns. If one of the columns is not necessarily relevant for you, you don't you know, you don't have to use it. But I love frameworks and I, I especially love the stacked rank, like this kind of stack ranked variety, because it just makes decision making that much, that much easier. So this is a brilliant tool. Thank you so much for sharing it with us, Sydney. You're welcome. Can I tell one funny story? Yeah, please. So, um, uh, so what I did in the in the exercise this time is I I had everybody we put the the number of frameworks out. Let's just say it's ten, and gave everybody three like virtual sticky dots, like on a Figma board, and had them vote on what they thought the segments would be before we started the exercise. So get them engaged, you know, like, okay. And so there were dots all over. And then we went through the exercise and the one that came out number one was like place number nine. And, you know, you want to trust instinct, but it was like ninth. The one that was number one was like seventh. So it completely changed because we went through the exercise together as a leadership team and gave input across all these different lovers to call them growth lovers um that we walked out with a completely different oriented like oh my gosh like wow we didn't even think about that we didn't think about this this incredible opportunity right in front of us as a as the biggest of the opportunities we thought and we were trying to push ourselves into a, a market that we weren't yet ready for but ready for it and that's okay we're not saying we're not going to do it we're just not going to do it right now right? that would have been an, an expensive mistake awesome yeah. I mean, and everybody was like, oh, we saw what you did there. <laughs> nice. But yeah, that's, but the whole point is alignment. Like I don't, I don't, it, and selfishly, it makes my job easier as a marketer because now I know what segments and, you know, what campaigns I need to run and, you know, where we need to invest our resources. And, and so rather than, and then you don't get the, well, what about this idea? Or what about that idea? Because we've already gone through the process together and aligned right. as a leadership team. 
Um, and so that stops that like, you know, scope creep that, you know, because just because we sold one customer, like, yeah, that's great, but we already have our strategy in place. We can evaluate that the next time we go through the exercise. Love it. Love it. Yeah. It makes it easy to focus with blinders and it gives you a good reason to push back and be like, no, we're not going to that event. Like that's not in the plan. Right. Um, cool. So tell us about Drata. Uh, I was not familiar with it before this. Um, could you, for other folks that aren't familiar with it, could you just kind of give us uh, in a nutshell what you guys do, or what you're all about? Sure. So we're in the security space. I never thought I'd be at, at, in the security space either. Um, but what we're doing is we're helping uh, governance, risk, and compliance teams uh, manage their compliance in an automated way. So for companies that need to sell to other companies uh, that require a SOC 2, that's the most common one here in the US that like you got to get your SOC 2 type 2 because of how you secure your um, uh, customer data in the cloud. It must be done. Um, mm -hmm. And so we help people more easily achieve their SOC 2 um, compliance because we connect to all their systems. We help them make it easier to set their controls and collect evidence. So they are prepared when they meet with the auditor. Um, they still need an auditor. They still have to go through the audit in order to get their, their compliance. But we provide 15 plus different frameworks. We're continuing to build new ones all the time um, that, that change the game from doing like uh, just the point in time evidence collection to always on. So you get a really good understanding of what your security posture is and what risks you have and where maybe something is um, not uh, not working as you intended it to work in your control and will notify you. So it's it's transforming an industry that has yet to be transformed, surprisingly. Uh, and really, it's about how we help them establish trust with their customers and their network, because it's not just their customers. They have third parties that where, you know, you it's third party risk management where it's not only what you can control, but now all the vendors that you use and, and their um, exposure. So you're trying to do your best to keep track of everybody and how they're doing their best to keep their systems uh, secure. Yep. Yep. I'm following you. So SOC 2, I'm on the website right now, which is nicely yeah. done. I like it. Huh? SOC 2, ISO 27,001. Yep. HIPAA, HIPAA. <laughs> GDPR is huge yep. in our world, right? Yep. There's a CCPA, yes. which is kind of yep. a, um, you know, California. side shoot. PCI. Yep. You know, um, I love spaces like this with a lot of acronyms because it's like a search engine marketer's dream come true with like, you know, all of just like the random niche words. Because like nobody's going to be searching for PCI DSS, you know, unless they're like somewhat qualified. Yeah. Versus if you, like, say you sell a sales software, you know, every Tom, Dick, and Harry is going to be searching for, like, AI sales software. Yeah. So, um, so very cool. So, I, I definitely get it. Um, how long have you been there? Not very long, right? No, I started in July. So, my first, just finished my first quarter. Okay, very cool. So, um, have you guys, well, it sounds like you've just gotten your... Um, just gotten your sort of plan in place. Are you able to share uh, anything about like how that exercise that you did went uh, at Drata or like what, what sort of segments you uh, deter you are going to double click into? Yeah. Um, so we did the exercises I mentioned in August uh, and, and started to implement them uh, the next week. So September, but um, you know, one of them I can share, I mean, cause we are in a incredibly competitive space. So I have to just be a little bit careful because if I was my competitor, I'd be listening to this podcast too. Right. Um, but uh, we we have a relationship with No Before. If you've ever heard of No Before. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of they sell to companies to allow them to do their training and um, for anti-harassment training or workplace safety. And, and so they had a competitive product that they decided to end of life. And so we partnered with them uh, to make that transition for their customers very easy um, and to be able to, we built specific things to adapt to the no before framework. Um, oh, cool. So they have 65,000 customers. This is a perfect example of picking a partner uh, mm -hmm. orientation for a, se a segment. We have a unique differentiation because they chose us as their partner and recommended to their customers that they use Drata 
And there's even some uh, financial incentives for customers to be able to select Drata. So wow, um, that's, that's really a nice, smart. nice big moat. Um, and it's the same sales process that we run today because we're still selling them their compliance automation capabilities. Uh, How did just, you guys score that? I'm curious. How'd that? Uh, we've got an awesome biz dev team. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with Note before. We're actually uh, clients of theirs, and it's okay. really cool. Um, well, my girl Cindy Zhao actually is the CMO. She started there not long ago, but um, it's Maybe really cool actually. Us. Yeah, I'm happy love, to. Yeah, yeah. Um, what it does, or at least the product that we use, is it sends fake phishing emails. So this is an email. It looks really legit, and it's like, like it looks like it's from Amazon, and it'll be like, it's time to change your Amazon password. But if you look closely, like it's not from Amazon.com, it's from like GoAmazon.com, right? So it comes also yeah. with like this phishing training, but it's like I was really impressed with the product. But anyway, yeah, but and yeah, that's the tr- the training part of it. But you're 100 percent correct. And when you think about security, the biggest risk that we can't control, even though we can control connect to all the systems, is human behavior. Oh yeah. That's the one, right? Like that one person that does click and then exposes yourself to ransom, you know, like to, to attackers and, and, you know, puts, puts the company in a precarious position and it happens every day. Um, So, you know, we're able to help. We just actually launched some stuff around user access controls where you can make sure that people who've left the company no longer have access because a lot of time that's done manually and now it's done automated. So it's a good fit. Right. And that's the partnership angle. It's like, yes, we sell the same solution to, you know, the complementary solutions to the same customer. So, yeah, it's been that great. makes sense. I, I think we've gotten like since the announcement in uh, was mid July was when we started like five or six hundred customers already, I'm guessing. Like, wow. it's a lot. Yeah. That is a great. lot. We how many really customers? Fast. How many customers do you guys have overall? We're a little over two and a half years. So, we'll be three in January. Um, and we're about, 4,000 customers in three years. Oh my goodness. I know it's insane. <laughs> Jeez Louise. That is, <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that. So the company's only three years old. Yes. Wow. I did not realize that. Well, good for yeah. you guys. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. No, I jumped on a rocket ship. <laughs> That's for sure. Jeez Louise. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so what is really driving driving all this growth, like from a marketing perspective, it sounds like BD and partnerships has been huge for you, but how did you get, like, what are the other sort of sources that these 4,000 customers came from? Well, you, you nailed it when you said in, you know, an SEO person's dream, like the frameworks themselves as someone searching for a SOC 2, like that speed to lead process is where we focus. It's where the majority of our customers come from. And then once they get their SOC 2, they can see that they're already like 60% of the way to getting their ISO to 27,001 or their, so because you've set your control, Drata will show those controls that are also used in other frameworks and, and kind of guide you to what's the next best framework based on your company's strategy. If you're expanding into Europe, then you're going to need GDPR and you're going to need the, the ISO frameworks. Um, for selling in healthcare, you need HIPAA. So it shows you that like you're already X amount of the way there and, and you don't have to repeat your efforts. Um, and, and so we spend a lot of time in, on, um, in, in PPC and SEO. That's the team before I got there. Like that was definitely the focus. And there's quite a few competitors that are entering the market. So we're trying to figure out how do we do this and become more efficient at doing it because mm-hmm. those uh, the the keywords have been bid up to a ridiculous level. Oh my god! Um, yeah, just ridiculous. I, I wish I could. I wish there was some way to like invest and grow your money at the rate that the cost per click grows. Like <laughs> we would all be millionaires. I know. I know. But the other thing that um, you know that I think is important is for us to make sure that we're still not just marketing to the frameworks, but marketing to the buyers. And so that's one thing that we've looked at is like, how do we do more persona-based work? Um, and, and so that's been a big change um, in terms of our campaign structure. And then also um, I, I'm so pleased and proud that it, my product counterpart was willing to go from an always on continuous launch process, which is very common in startups, especially in highly competitive markets to going to a quarterly launch rhythm. Because it was just like feature, 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 launch, 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 launch. And the product marketing team is just like constantly week, week on week. 
Uh, and to the point where we're sending emails to our customers all the time and it just becomes noise. Yeah. So our goal was how do we get our customers to 10x uh, their level of engagement um, on our releases? And so within my next quarter, so we did our very first one, we call it Drawdiverse Digital, and it's a quarterly customer event, highly mm-hmm. produced, where we feature our tier one product releases. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll still put a newsletter out for tier two and tier three, but um, in our first, like our average number of attendees when we were doing the one-off releases was like maybe 80 people would show up to a webinar. Um, we've had over mm-hmm. 850 watch Drawdiverse Digital so far um, from last quarter. So that was our goal to 10X it. And, and we did because it's so important to make sure our customers are aware of the of the innovations and the investments that our amazing product team is making. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a big push for us. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of partnerships, a lot of SEO, SEM, and on the, on the point of marketing, customer to marketing. customers. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. So you meant actually marketing to into, to the customer base. I thought you meant marketing like to the avatar itself. Okay. No, to our customer base, those 850 attendees were customers. Oh, that's um, smart. Maybe prospects, some partners, I mean, we're, we're promoting it externally, but the goal is to educate customers more effectively. Yeah. Brilliant. With the, the, the output is like not just the number of attendees, but then our product marketers and product managers are responsible for adoption. So if yeah. tier one products get launched, their goal is not launched. Their goal is, you know, setting a, setting a goal for one product. We just was like, we want 20% of our customer base to be using this product for the next six months. That's a, that's, we have 4,000 customers. That's a lot. Yeah. So you have to educate them that it's available. You have to make sure that it's easy to turn on, you know, understand what the hurdles are, fix it. So yeah. it's like keeping them focused on the product to make sure that what we just invested in is actually being used and that customers are aware because we don't want them to go to our competitors thinking that our competitor has capabilities we've already built. Right. Um, right. So that's important. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. Well, you guys are kicking ass and taking names. I'm really impressed. Um, I am. I'm wondering. I mean, I'm sure it's not all wine and roses. Like, what are what are some of the challenges that you're struggling with? Oh, I mean, at this moving at this pace, it was just you know, and making sure that the team um, doesn't get burnt out, uh, which is hard because we're moving really, really fast. Building a culture that can adapt to change um, and get comfortable with it. You know, I think it's, that's part of the coaching and kind of like where where we have to teach people how to like thrive in in an environment like this. Um, And, you know, it's always hard when a new leader comes in and you want to build trust, you know, like up level the team and like, you know, create career paths for folks. So I spent a lot of time trying to make sure that everybody, you know, sees it feels seen and heard and that we're we're building some um you know uh just rituals that work for our team uh and so we set up our we call it the best in the biz group that's what we wanted to call it and meaning you know we want to be the model inside drada for the things that we decide to focus on which for us has been our onboarding experience because we're hiring so many people so quickly uh so how do we think about doing that that's unique to the, the marketing team um, we want to have, um, uh, you know, personal development plans in place that were, we created a version for us and that will be our training next month. Um, we do our offsite and then just recognizing and, and celebrating each other's success. So we have a lot of things we do, uh, every week, but we know what can we continue to do to recognize folks. So we have nice. a shout out channel. That's pretty, pretty loud. Yeah. Oh, I love those channels. Those are the best. Yeah. Um, how many people are on your team? I'm over the mid thirties. Oh wow, that's um, pretty. I don't have team. the SDRs, so it's just marketing, and marketing ops actually is in RevOps. So got it. Who are you looking yeah. to hire? They might be listening right now. <laughs> um, so we have an EMEA director of EMEA marketing that we're looking mm-hmm. for a superstar to join and be our first hire in EMEA. Um, that's one that I'm excited about. We've got a quite a few product marketing, so senior PMM roles for some of the new products that we're introducing. So Mm -hmm. so if you're interested or your friends, please uh, apply for our product marketing roles. Um, Let's see, we just hired a bunch of people. I have a customer marketing leader. Oh, but we have a customer marketing manager role that's open. Um, Those are the big ones off the top of my head right now. 
Uh, okay. We literally just hired five people in the last two weeks. So wow. working on getting them onboarded. Yeah. Wow, man. You guys Pricing are and packaging, product marketing. We have a partner marketing. Um, so yeah. Cool. So um, as you look forward to the rest of Q4 and 2024, uh, what else are you guys investing in? Or is are there any like new um, oh, initiatives yeah. that are in view? <laughs> Um, what isn't in view? Uh, so, I mean, efficiency has to be part of it. I mean, we've grown so fast and, and, you know, you get to this level of scale already with this many customers. And now we have to really evaluate kind of how were we solving it before? And now how do we re rebuild this for scale? Mm -hmm. Um, we're also, um, implementing an account-based approach. Uh, mm -hmm. so, um, we've got, we just implemented reach desk. We've got six cents that we're putting in place. Um, uh, that includes the, the add-ons for sales and SDRs, which will take a lot of enablement work, um, mm -hmm. to get them up to speed. Um, I mean, there's just always something Sprout social, like social platforms are looking at. So, um, those are the, the, the biggest one is, you know, we wanted to introduce the campaign framework. We want to, you know, be more efficient in the way that we execute. So, I, I, we call it in marketing land, right? An account-based approach, but guess what? To me, it's a segment. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's not just, account-based is not for enterprise anymore. It's a segment. So I'll put, you know, I'll put 15,000 names in a SMB segment campaign, no problem. And I know my my targeting is going to them and it's going to be relevant versus just the insane check I'm writing to Google right now. Um, you know, right. you know, really figuring out how can it be more efficient there is also with LinkedIn, we have a great partnership with the LinkedIn team. Um, and so just really trying to build the right execution for the right segment. Yeah. Brilliant. That sounds really smart. Um, well, this has been an awesome interview. Thank you so much, Sydney. I've learned a lot here and been inspired. Um, I want to be sensitive to your time. We have just a few minutes left. Uh, do you want to jump to the lightning round? Sure, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Question number one. If you were to start a side hustle, what side hustle would that be? Organizing people's closets. That nice. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love organizing. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Sounds like you you were ready for that one. You just had the answer right off the top it's of your the head. Truth, though. <laughs> <laughs> um question number two is top three books, authors podcasts, thought leaders that really, uh, have made an impact on you? Um, oh boy. Um, play bigger. Yeah. I really do think that that's the Bible for category creation. Um, uh, the, I think it's called the 14 commitments of conscious leadership, um, which is all about, you know, leading, living above the line asking why seek to understand um, and, and choose to always take a positive path. That was something that was tied to our cultural values at Salesoft. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say um, Patrick Lencioni, I'll stick on the leadership books. Um, the, the advantage is the summary of all his books. So if people haven't read the five dysfunctions, then I just say, ah, go ahead and advance right to the advantage you'll get all of the summary in one and, and just the whole idea of the foundation of trust and then holding people accountable to deliver results like the, the entire trust tree. I just, I subscribe to it. It works. Um, I use a lot of their, their frameworks in our team building exercises. So that's, that's my third one. That's awesome. Is that one written also in like a story, like narrative? It is, it is like use case based. They're kind of, you know, a little bit hokey, but they get the point across. So, and it's, they're easy reads that one. Um, the Lencioni books are super easy. That's like an afternoon type of, type of yeah. book. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um, and then the question number three is how do you avoid getting burned out and how do you help your team to avoid that also? Boy. Well, I did get burned out in my last company. Um, so I don't recommend <laughs> working <laughs> seven days a week and traveling back and forth to Atlanta for four years. Um, um, you know, I think it's ruthless prioritization and it's so hard. That's why it's so important to start at the top. Like if you can get alignment with leadership and that's my job, like my job is like, I'm an executive of the company and I just happen to run the marketing function, but I'm constantly trying to like, how do we focus? How do we focus? There's actually, they're going to make a t-shirt called focus is my favorite F word. Cause I say it all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. nice. um, so, uh, but 
you know, I think that ruthless prioritization and empowering the teams to say no and, and getting the company okay with it. And that's really hard when you're growing this fast and you've got the demands coming. Um, but that's number one. And I think number two is when people are off, let them be off. Trust your team, right? Delegate. This person's going to take over and really allow yourself to take the week off. Don't feel like you're so important that, you know, you have to continue to be on. I'm just going to check in every day. No, the whole point is to, to recharge and, and your battery. And you're not going to do that if you're still tap, tapping into it. Yep. Makes a ton of sense. And I love those answers. Well, thank you again, Sydney. This has been amazing. For everybody listening, if you learned anything here today or uh, had a laugh, do us a favor, share this with a friend or drop us a five-star rating wherever you get your pods. Sydney, I'm sure a lot of folks are interested to learn more about you uh, as well as Drado. Where would you direct them? Uh, LinkedIn. So I'm Sid- Sydney Sloan or at Sid Sloan at LinkedIn. Brilliant. All right. Yeah. Or Drado.com, obviously. <laughs> Simple enough. So um, we'll include all the books mentioned, uh, links to the website, and some other goodies in the show notes. Uh, Until next time, that was another exciting episode of Revenue Driven CMO, and we will see you next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us here today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at RevenueDrivenCMO.com. That's RevenueDrivenCMO.com. And hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization, if you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, Web Mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective, informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. And that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free. Fill out the two-minute form and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free. No hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision.